0: A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Let's get into your headlines this hour. U.S. tech stocks tumble, sending Wall Street sharply lower as bond yields rise. Financials and energy stocks also struggling to hang on to early gains as investors fixate on the Fed's next tapering move. Facebook shares lead the losses as the social media giant suffers a nearly six-hour outage while a whistleblower accuses the company of a quote betrayal of democracy
1: u.s. oil prices surge to a seven-year high as opec plus producers resist calls to turn on the taps sticking to their production plan volvo cars announces plans for a swedish ipo next year as part of its transition to electric potentially valuing the company upwards of thirty billion dollars
0: volvo has uh very ambitious plans to to really be a fast transformer into electrification we have said 2030 is our end date for ice uh, engine and uh, we of course want to secure that transformation And as European finance ministers gather in Luxembourg, France and Spain team up to demand reform of the energy sector amid surging prices. The French finance minister Bruno Le Maire says there needs to be action now. It
2: is clearly a matter of huge concern for all of us. It is unfair, it is inefficient and it is very costly.
0: So, we now know for sure that it's not true what they say about West London. Actually, you can escape after you've gone there. Karen Cho is back with us. Very good morning. Good morning. How was Acton? How were the delights of that Acton trading estate, was it, that you were on near Morrison's?
1: It was lovely. There was plenty of local stores around, right. and local barbers right. and uh, local grocery stores uh, for a little bit of diversity. Yep. The Morrisons itself was uh, very large, yes. lots of variety in there.
0: Yes, a- and you, your car was okay. Car was fine. You got all four tyres back.
1: <laughs> I didn't get a ticket either for extending my parking in Brilliant. the car park
0: brilliant. All right, well, let's talk about these markets then. Nice to have you back with us. Nice to have you back in the warmth of the studio as well as we focus on these markets, because it was a bit chilly, wasn't it? If you were in the session yesterday, look, by the close, uh, we saw all of the major US indices in negative territory here. But what what an interesting session, because as you look at the NASDAQ, the implication is that this was a sell-off in growth stocks as a result of concern around steepening in the treasury curve. And yes, you can actually see uh, an outperformance or an underperformance if if you like down over 2% on the Nasdaq. But don't forget about these two other segments which represent a, a broader view of uh, the US economy at the moment. And, and nobody really escaped. I think energy probably did the best, but The reality is, of the 11 sectors in the S&P, 10 of them were ultimately in negative territory. So it shows you that the uh, sell-off was a little broader than that, which raises some interesting questions then. For those of you who might be tempted to dip your feet at this point and think there's an opportunity to pick up some bargains, the reality is we're only still, what, 5 to 7% away from all-time highs at the moment. So this is not what you would describe as a technical correction at this stage. Let's have a look at the Treasury curve. Again, very interesting question. Recently, when we've seen these Monday sell-offs, Coming into the afternoon session, you've seen the bargain hunters turn up on the belief that the index will turn around into the close. Yesterday, it didn't happen in that way. And I think part of the reason it didn't happen in that way is because the market is continuing to fixate a little bit on this steepening. Is it a bear steepening? Does that tell us that we're not going to get stagflation ultimately? Lots of cross-currents here to try and work through. But all you need to know, I think, uh, for, for, for today's purpose, and we'll talk to Michael Yoshikami about this in just a moment, that the near-term fear is around what further news we get from the Federal Reserve on its tapering intentions and whether that 10-year note is going to go higher and what the spread between 2s and 10s continues to look like as that reflects people's inflation expectations. Dollar crosses, quick look at the dollar crosses, uh, just an indication of why it's so painful at the moment to think about buying emerging markets and why we're at a one-year low on... On a lot of these Asian indices, it's a perfect headwind. You get a strong dollar and you get domestic inflationary pressure. That kind of hurts. Dollar-yen, you can see we've got a a little bit of upside on dollar-yen at the moment. We're pretty much flat, to be honest, on uh, sterling dollar and uh, euro-dollar. We're one spot, 1594
1: in many ways, I feel like we're talking about a very similar script to what we had last week, where there was a tech route taking place investors focused on a high-yield environment, ever fears playing out in the market, whether there could be contagion risk. There wasn't another extra feature, too, and that was around regulation, whether there's more coming for the technology sector, all based on what we saw at Facebook yesterday, investors effectively giving Facebook a thumbs-down Monday session, the stock falling more than 5.5%. Now, the social media giant faces a storm of criticism criticism over whistleblower revelations that it supposedly knew its products were causing mental health issues and fueling disinformation and online hate speech. Those problems were compounded yesterday when Facebook, uh, WhatsApp, Instagram, all the main platforms under Facebook, suffered a six-hour global outage. A uh, quick look uh, more broadly at uh, the sector, and you can see what played out with those tech stocks. In contrast to the fallen Facebook, near on five percent, still decent pullback taking place. If we look at uh, one of the big moving stocks for the S&P and the Nasdaq, it was actually Apple to the downside. That stock down almost 2.5%, but Amazon, Alphabet all falling as well. And the Asian markets, uh, let's just take a quick look. We are ex-China, don't forget uh, that markets closed most of this week. Hong Kong are putting a, a touch of green, but elsewhere we have a retreat. And uh, Japan is the one to watch. We've uh, seen fairly steep falls there in recent sessions. That continues today, down almost at 2.5%. Uh, Let's get out to Michael Yoshikami, founder and CEO of Destination Wealth Management. Michael, I want to come back to this big technology story. It does feel very slow moving where investors are closely watching any kickoff of a taper program uh, and what we are seeing around interest rates potentially rising at some point down the track, along with inflation fears. What does that environment mean to you about the technology picture?
3: Well, I think, first of all, technology stocks um, sold off, as you mentioned last week, Because of concerns about interest rates. And I guess theoretically, it's sold off today because of interest rate concerns. I think that's a bit of an overreaction. I mean, we're still talking about the 10 year Treasury being at a pretty low rate right now. I think the bigger news today was what happened with Facebook and really sentiment around technology stocks, ripe for a pullback after really a pretty meteoric rise for the last 12 months in the NASDAQ. And Facebook just really spread itself around and really infected all the tech sectors and really the overall market sentiment so um, i think it's more of a facebook issue than it is an interest rate issue in my view
1: michael if you look at the selling in facebook over the years i mean what we're seeing so far is nothing compared to 2018 and also nothing versus the sell-off we had around the pandemic but uh, still a sharp pullback at this stage what is the potential for much steeper regulation here instead of self-regulation that uh, facebook and many of the technology companies have been engaged in
3: well i i think i think that the revelations that actually came out on um, network news as well as uh, in uh, print media are are pretty um, troubling for Facebook. And I think that self-regulation has really been something they've been making a pitch for for quite some time. Um, It's hard to believe when you see what's happening with Congress in terms of them actually setting up fake accounts to really track how they get targeted with ads by Facebook. It's just hard to see that Government's not going to step in and try to really have a more active um, hand in regulating social media companies, uh, and I think Facebook knows that. Uh, regardless of their denials today, I think that probably is a pretty concerning um, uh, set of circumstances over the last few days for the company.
0: Michael, as we look at the futures this morning, the indication is um, that we are primed for a, a modest bounce back if we hold on to these numbers. We've obviously had a, a bit of a pullback in yields here. So there is some rethinking going on as to the direction of travel for yields and their impact on uh, the tech sector. Um, do you think that we see an opportunity here to go back in to these stocks over the next few wow. weeks or so? Is this Or is this going to fizzle again?
3: Well, it kind of depends what happens in the next few weeks, but I would not be too uh, eager if I was an investor right now. We really have three transitions that are occurring right now. We actually put this out in a a research note earlier today. Uh, We have the tax issues happening in the United States. We have the pandemic issues, and we have what's happening with interest rates. And all three of these things simultaneously are happening at exactly the same time, really in the next 60 to 90 days. So I think investors... Sure, you're always looking for opportunities, but I think you ought to be cautious and not too excited if you see a bump down of 3% or 5%, uh, because I think there could very well be opportunity in assets uh, if you're patient.
0: Why is the uh, the debt ceiling and the politics important this time, Michael? I mean, given the, the Democrats' majority, you would have thought that um, when it comes down to it, the right... Move will be made on extending the debt ceiling because they have the ability to do so with the numbers. I mean, this is this is just all about uh, a little bit of Democrat brinkmanship, isn't it?
3: Yeah. Well, I I, I think. Um, like every time we, we face this debt situation, it goes up to the last second. There's all sorts of um, nightmare scenarios that people talk about the U.S. is defaulting, and then it's going to get passed. The debt ceiling is going to raise up. So I don't think that's a major issue. I think what's bigger an issue is what is the tax legislation going to look like? How is that going to impact companies? If corporations are going to be taxed significantly more, how is that going to affect earnings? If earnings are going down, Because of higher taxation, that's going to affect the stock market. That's a bigger issue than really this sort of um, mirage of an issue, which is the debt ceiling, because they're going to raise the debt ceiling. I'm, I'm willing to go out on a limb and predict that that will happen and the U.S. will not default.
1: Michael, what we're talking about default, can I just bring up Evergrande here? Because the market's been watching this for weeks and weeks, looking for some of res- form of resolution. And what we seem to have today, a bit more contagion across the Chinese property sector. How concerned do you think U.S. investors are at this point and how concerned should they be?
3: Well, I'm trying to make sure that people are adequately concerned. I think it certainly is. Uh, troublesome for the Chinese market, emerging markets, the entire region, and I think it's going to have a spillover effect on the global economy. Um, As you know, um Uh, the company has been selling off bits of um, uh, their asset base in order to try to somehow come up with some um, cash flow. And there's some rumblings, as you probably uh, know, coming out of Hong Kong, that maybe there's some sort of takeover efforts being led by either the government or private businesses. But I think it's a huge issue. And I think it does continue to shine a light on uh, China's economy, which is not as strong as people automatically think it should be, that's this gigantic economy, it's going to just charge forward, that's pretty much not the case. If you have these so-called ghost cities and people aren't moving into them and you have a situation where you have massive $300 billion worth of of debt, uh, that's really troublesome and it's going to be troublesome throughout the entire Chinese economy, in particular particular the real estate sector, which is a big part of China's GDP growth.
0: So boiling that down to actionable at this point, Michael, uh, the line in your notes, portfolio strategy should have more defensive equities as a core holding, including dividend paying stocks. Uh, is there still time to build yeah. that portfolio at a decent price?
3: Yeah, you know, there, there is, if we continue to have the kind of panic that we saw today. Um, it, it, what investors need to do is recognize you have these sort of nightmare sort of scenarios like the Facebook situation that occurs. Uh, And it brings everything else down. So what you want to do is you want to look around, see what's going um, over the cliff uh, that shouldn't be going over the cliff. And I think there's still an opportunity to be defensive. Um, I still think you can take profit in some of these names. Maybe they weren't as high as they were, but if they still uh, are profitable names, you might want to do that, particularly in the United States, if, in fact, they're going to raise capital gain rates. There's every reason to consider doing that now. So there still is um, an opportunity to do so. Uh, as well as reposition portfolios going forward into the new year.
1: Uh, Michael, well, we've had a volatile week already, but we are setting up for some non-farm payrolls later on at the end of the week. What is uh, the likelihood that the market will see this as a major risk event, given the nerves around a potential taper later this year?
3: Uh, I think it really depends, um, Karen, what the numbers look like. If the numbers are particularly strong, in other words, there was strong employment, there's going to be additional panic, around uh, the raising of interest rates. And I think that's going to be a negative for the market. So that certainly is a number we want to be watching very closely.
1: Michael, thank you very much for joining us. I uh, appreciate the time again. Michael Yoshikami with us, founder and CEO, of Destination Wealth Management.
0: Uh, later today, our U.S. colleagues will speak to U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Uh, don't miss that CNBC exclusive CET, the time for that conversation. Now, US oil prices hit a seven-year high while Brent crude reached its highest level since 2018 on Monday. This is OPEC and its allies dismissed calls to dramatically increase output, choosing instead to stick to its schedule of slow and steady production increases. Let's get out to Dan for more on this story. But Dan... What acknowledgement did they make that these high prices risk choking off demand?
2: Really good point, Jeff. Good morning to you. Good morning all. I think the first point to make is that this meeting wrapped up in record time, at least according to one senior OPEC official that I was messaging with last night. 25 minutes, in fact, and OPEC deciding to stay the course here, moving to add 400,000 barrels per day to the market in November. So continuing to phase out that 5.8 million barrel per day of existing production cut. Now, that's despite this worsening global energy crunch and calls on OPEC Plus to cool a red-hot market, which we know is already up around 50% this year. It is a supply and demand story at its core, but oil is also getting some pretty serious support from rising natural gas prices because that natural gas shortage is increasing demand for alternatives and crude is preferred. At the same time, we know that... US officials, for example, have been concerned that rising fuel costs were hurting consumers and OPEC Plus was holding back too much supply. So OPEC appears to have thrown caution to the wind here and dismissed some of those calls to do more to cool prices off. Analysts now saying oil could be on track to test 100 USD with demand for crude also likely to spike now into the fourth quarter of the year as winter approaches in the Northern Hemisphere. And that conversation around triple digit oil isn't going away anytime soon because what we also see is that surge in oil in combination with rising natural gas prices adding to inflationary pressures. The fear now is that this is going to essentially translate into consumer spending and possibly even derail the economic recovery as nations emerge from the pandemic. So oil energy, a pretty hot topic right now, but OPEC not doing much to uh, cool prices and to add more oil to this market than they need to stay in the course and instead deciding to see what's going to happen at the end of November when
0: they meet next to assess the economic recovery and the price outlook for oil. It's back over to you. Terrific, Dan. Thank you so much for that. We'll see you a little bit later on in the program. Still to come then, uh, we're going to spend a bit more time on this Evergrande story. The company eyes its largest asset sale amid the current debt crisis it's experiencing while one of its main rivals appears to take a tumble. Are we then seeing a domino effect in the Chinese real estate sector? We're going to talk about that when we come back.
1: And for further insight into Monday's tech-led sell-off stateside, you can check out the Squawkbox podcast. U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai vowed to exclude some Chinese imports from tariffs imposed by the previous administration. But she took aim at what she described as unfair competitive practices by Beijing. In a speech outlining her department's review of the China trade talks, Tai said she will seek talks with her counterpart in China, a warning that Washington must protect its economic interests. In An exclusive CNBC interview, Tai said she didn't know whether she could trust Beijing, but that the White House is keeping all options on the table. I haven't written anything off. And that's why we came forward with a very
2: comprehensive four-part plan and laid out really comprehensive principles that are going to guide us. And I, I want to reinforce this, that what we did today and what I laid out in the speech are the first steps where we're going to start from. Where we go from here is going to depend on a lot of things. It's going to depend on how these conversations go. It's going to depend on um, um, how our collaboration with our allies go. And it's going to depend on um, how robustly uh, we are able to pursue our domestic Um, investment
0: program. Catherine Tai there. Chinese home builders continue to feel the heat amid the ongoing Evergrande crisis. Fantasia is the latest developer in trouble. The company's dollar denominated bonds lost nearly half of their value after the company missed a $206 million debt payment on Monday. The group says it's assessing the effects of non payment on its financial conditions. Meanwhile, Evergrande Group shares well, they're still suspended in Hong Kong as we wait on an announcement on a potential major transaction. The Chinese media reporting it could be set to sell a majority stake in its property management arm for just over $5 billion. Uh, Gabriel Wildau joins us, Senior Vice President uh, Taneo. Uh, Gabriel, morning. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, have we got a whiff of contagion going on here? Is there something of a domino effect taking place among these developers, and why is it happening?
4: We're seeing a few signs of contagion, but overall, uh, the message that we've been giving to clients is that this is not China's layman moment. The authorities have the, the uh, ability to contain this crisis. And in fact, like some earlier uh, Chinese financial uh, turmoil. I'm thinking in particular of the June 2013 interbank liquidity crisis. This is in many ways a self-inflicted crisis. It's results. It's the results of Chinese authorities tightening the screws on on lending to developers. So because they caused this crisis, we believe they have the ability to to contain it and to uh, provide relief to the market if and when they choose
0: challenge, though, is the scale of the contribution that the real estate sector makes to the Chinese economy. Uh, according to some calculations, it's almost as much as uh, 25% of, of GDP here. Uh, but we understand that Xi Jinping has shifted his focus for the economy. He doesn't want to see speculation in property, and he wants to make sure that there is a trickle-down effect with wealth. How can... At this stage, you match those two competing aims. Uh, if he increases stimulus, eases the pressure on mortgages and so forth and re-stimulates, that would appear to somewhat go against the previous announcements we've heard.
4: Well, that is the key question. And there's no doubt the Chinese policymakers are attempting to walk a very a delicate, uh, a delicate tightrope. Uh, But I think I think the the key point is the one you made that that this is the result of policymakers trying to break the Chinese economy's addiction to property and to encourage more high quality growth. So that involves inflicting some pain on developers and inflicting some pain on um, homeowners, at least in the short term. And the goal is to engineer a kind of soft landing for the housing market so that you don't have uh, acute financial distress And you don't have a crash in the market that would decimate household balance sheets, but you're able to guide the market slowly downward so that you can encourage uh, the economy to transition to a new growth model.
1: Cameron, we were talking before about uh, the market fears around contagion, and now we're grappling with uh, a number of companies, uh, Cynic, uh, Fantasia, along with Evergrande here. How much harder is it for authorities to try and contend with a problem of this scale when we're talking about a handful of companies, not just one?
4: I think the risk for authorities is greater in the offshore U.S. dollar bond market than in the onshore market, where in the onshore market authorities have quite a bit of leverage to sort of strong-arm state-owned banks and bond investors into continuing at least a minimum flow of credit to the housing market to prevent uh, a prevent a full-blown systemic crisis. But their ability to exert influence over the the dollar market in Hong Kong is much less. It's a much more uh, market-driven bond market with with investors who are, who are outside the direct influence of Beijing. And, and the fear for policymakers is that uh, the entire universe of Chinese property developers and other kinds of borrowers will lose access to that market, which is a very important market for foreign for exchange financing to, uh, to supplement what, what uh, developers and other borrowers can get onshore.
1: Uh, Gabrielle, why don't we just pull a couple of seemingly abstract points together. I mean, in uh, the last uh, decade or so, we've been talking about the need to keep the migrant workforce employed to avoid social dissent, but it feels as though the narrative has changed a lot in China these days. Property ownership has been very important and even owning more than one property for a lot of investors. If there is some form of a collapse in the sector, what does it mean in terms of social dissent because it feels as though many have uh, tr- put their trust in Beijing authorities to, to run the ship and keep it steady at this point?
4: Well I think we're going to see authorities taking strong measures to protect uh, those stakeholders in the evergrand fiasco who are most likely to cause social unrest if they're not if they're not taken care of and that means primarily home buyers those who put down prepayments on Evergrande flats and expect those to be completed and delivered. And also uh, retail investors in Evergrande wealth management products, they're likely to jump the queue, if you will, and to uh, to get taken care of even more than perhaps they deserve under the principles of debt seniority. So that's the role the government's going to play. They're not going to bail out everyone because that's not necessary, but they're going to make sure they take care of the Those those groups that are likely to cause a problem if if there's a disorderly series of defaults.
0: The um, impact on any significant decline in prices as a result of this official policy, though, could be quite devastating for consumption patterns in China. How concerned do we need to be that some of the economic data is going to start slowing very rapidly?
4: Well, I think that's the fear, and that's the, the, the key data points that policymakers will be watching, and, and it will test their tolerance to, to stick with these real estate tightening measures. I think we could see those measures start to gradually lift uh, by late this year or early next year, as starting with the mid-tier and smaller-tier cities, um, and perhaps expanding eventually to, to, broader, uh, to, to the bigger cities if economic data continues to disappoint. But uh, the policymakers are going to hold on as long as they can and calibrate the, the loosening according to the day that comes in.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
1: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cupmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.